He was one frustrated pastor. He'd been saved over and over again. When he was a boy, he made a profession of faith, and he wondered if it took, and so he prayed a sinner's prayer again. And then he wondered if it took, because he still wrestled with besetting sins. And so then he went away to camp, and he threw a little stick in the fire, and then he felt like he really got saved. He was saved and baptized. He came back to his pastor, and he said that he wanted to get baptized again. I think he was baptized a second time. But when he came back to the pastor to get baptized the third time, the pastor said, I'm not going to baptize you anymore. Then he became a pastor, and he still quietly wrestled with this frustration of his own besetting sin. The way he looked at it, he said, was the gospel got him saved, and then after that, he was to open the Bible and look for the rules to live by, and he was having trouble living by the rules. And one day, he was on his way home in his car, and he was frustrated with that, and he just didn't know what to do. When he got home, no one was there. His wife was gone shopping, the kids were gone. He got his Bible, and he, and he opened his Bible up to Romans chapter 5. Hint, hint. Romans chapter 5. He got his Bible out, and he opened his Bible up to Romans chapter 5. He said, he started to read Romans chapter 5. He just paced in his living room, reading Romans chapter 5. Verses 1 through 11. And he saw something he'd never seen before. And he wrote it down on little three by five cards, what he'd learned. And he took these three by five cards everywhere he went. You know that Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope in the glory of God. And he wrote it on his three by five card and reminded himself, I am justified by faith. I am right with God by faith in what Jesus did. He wrote this promise on a three by five card. Wherever he, wherever he was uh, out and about and frustrated again by his wrestling with his besetting sins, he would read it again and remind himself that he is a justified sinner. That his standing with God, that he is right with God, not because of what he did, but because of what Jesus did. He, he wrote that down. He just kind of talked to himself. After a while, he realized that was really helpful. And so he began to look for other promises in the Bible, and he would put them on three by five cards, and he would get them out, and he would talk to himself. He would have a gospel conversation with himself. He would tell himself what the Bible says about who he is, a justified sinner, right with God, not because of what he did, but because of what Jesus did in God's favor and can never be out of God's favor because he's justified. 
he found other verses and he put them together. He's a pastor, so he put them together on a sheet of paper. He said, then I filled two sides of the sheet of paper. Then he said, it helped me so much, I began to print them off and put them in the bulletin every week for other people to read. After a while, he come up with 31, not 33. He's a young man. He probably still is going to come up with two more. He, he came up with 31 different things that he noticed. Powerful promises about the gospel from favorite Bible verses that he could use to talk to himself when he was going through any situation, a setback, a difficulty, a doubt, a besetting sin, an attack from a person that he expected was his friend, he would go back to the gospel and remind himself of the gospel, just the simple gospel that Jesus died for his sins and that he gave him his righteousness, that he took his sin upon himself, that Jesus took Milton Vincent's sins upon himself, that Jesus gave his righteousness to Milton Vincent, that he was a justified sinner. A lot more in the Bible about what happens when we get saved, but he just concentrated on the justification thing. And after a while, people began to say, and he, had, he, he published a book, and the book has in it 31 different things that happen when you think about being a justified sinner when you have a gospel conversation with yourself, when you tell the gospel to you. And he said what shocked him was that he made more progress in his sanctification than he had ever made before when he just started thinking about how wonderful his salvation was that he found himself doing things that he could not do before. And he had stumbled on a great secret that the gospel is not just to save you, but it's for every, it's the mainspring of the Christian life, he would say. And so he wrote this little book called The Gospel Primer. The Gospel Primer. Primer is under your paint. Primer is what you learn with. Remember this. The Gospel Primer. And, and he published that book. And if you would like a copy of that book, buy one for yourself. You can find a link on our website when you look at the notes at the bottom of the notes. Don't look now. And you can, you can find a copy. It's inexpensive and a wonderful little tool to have. And I, one of my goals would be that when I'm done today, that you would at least start putting a few Bible verses on a three by five card, or maybe even buy that book. And you begin to rehearse for yourself the truth of the gospel instead of whatever it is you've been telling yourself about whatever's happening in your life. Because all of us talk to ourselves all the time. And who you are is largely determined by the meditations of your heart, what you say when you talk to yourself, especially when you're in, well, can I say it? When you're in a, you ever play baseball and get in a pickle? Like if you're in a pickle and you're playing with people that know what they're doing, you're, you might as well go sit on the bench, you're done. Right? They know what they're doing. You ever, you ever in a spiritual pickle <laughs> and you don't know what to do? I can tell that illustration just went zipping over your head and only one person responded to that. That's, that's what happens in my profession. You just miss wide. Sometimes you swing and miss, like I just said there. Anyway, sometimes you get yourself into trouble or you have something that just burns your heart. Are you tracking with me now? Or you can't go to sleep at night. Then you tell yourself something. What I'm going to say to you today is what Jesus wants you to do is tell yourself the gospel. It's, you want to get good at it. You want to get really good. It's important. It's powerful. My wife, or, I mean, a woman I know, 
because I'm not supposed to bring her up, so I won't. But I'll just tell you about a guy and a woman I know. So there's this guy, and his wife liked to find treasures. She would just go to places, and she would, she would look for things that were inexpensive that she could kind of like fix up or refurbish and then sell them for more money. And so she would go off looking for these treasures, and when she would find them, she'd want to tell somebody. So she would call her husband, and her husband would be maybe writing or working on a sermon or something, and she would say, oh, honey, you're not going to believe the treasures that I've found. This is a pretty regular occurrence with this woman and this man. Found treasures. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait till you bring them home, he would say, to put them with all your other treasures, which are everywhere. And, uh, and then she would bring the treasures home, and then he would say, that's going to sell. And then she would say, oh, I'm not selling this. It's a treasure. And then he, being very well aware of how this works, says, that's wonderful. We'll enjoy it. And then after a while, she would sell it. Anyway, she'd love to get her treasures. What he noticed about her was that it seemed like a bizarre thing to gather so many treasures, but it made her happy all the time. She's just singing, whistling, finding treasures. She regularly would say, I found some treasures. It made her happy. And he was happy when she was happy. You like my parable? <laughs> and all the smart people got that. So what I want to share with you today are things that are so valuable. They're such treasures that when we think about them, they will give us joy that will never go away. Joy that will always last. Joy that will run beneath like a great like artesian spring under our life, no matter how hard things are, no matter how weird things get. You have this, you have this fountain, these treasures. It's the treasures that I want to talk to you about. Six of them today, if I discipline myself and my use of time, six of them, and they, and they flow out of justification by faith. And then let's read again in Romans 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, ready for the treasure, six of them, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice, we exalt, we boast. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, he, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That was the amen spot right there. I'll say it again so that you can say amen at the right time. At the, at the due time. Well, we were still weak at the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. Amen. Amen. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved 
by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And much more now that we are reconciled, we are saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice or we exalt or we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen and amen. What are these treasures? Number one, it's a treasure that you are justified by faith in Christ without works. He took your sin. He gave you his righteousness. It's, that's a treasure. That's an irrevocable blessing. You are now blessed by God, and that won't ever change. Salvation is an eternal act of God. It won't ever change. You can't, you can't undo that once it's done. It's what the scriptures teach. You're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. He paid the price needed to be paid for you to be right with God. You're, that's what it means to, to be justified. Someone said it just as if you'd never sinned before God. Judicially, in the reality of that, if God declares you righteous, you are righteous. And it's a judicial act. Do you remember this when I preached the message? Not yes. You preached the message on all the big words there in Romans 3. You remember those? There were like six big words. This is one of them. Justification, redemption, propitiation, imputation, reconciliation, and adoption. That one isn't hard. And these are all things that happen when we believe that Jesus died for us. And they all have backstories behind them. And you have a vocabulary for whatever it is that you love, don't you? You have a vocabulary for whatever it is that you, that you treasure, don't you? You have a big vocabulary a bow hunting vocabulary, a golf vocabulary. Am I right? A bell ringing vocabulary. Thank you, ladies, for the beautiful, beautiful songs today. You have a, you have a vocabulary for whatever it is that you do. And it's a big vocabulary, and it's specific. Here's what I'm saying. If you're a follower of Jesus, you, have a, you ought to know all the words that he uses to describe what he did for you, even if they're big words. And I'll give you a little hint Ask, what's the backstory? Remember me telling this? What's the story behind the word? And the story behind the justification word, there's a setting, and every good story has a setting. And you ought to know the setting of every one of these big words. I'll go over this real quick. Justification, the setting is the courtroom. And you're declared righteous by the holy judge because of what Jesus did, paying for your sin on the cross, and you're justified. The courtroom is the setting. And the other big word was redemption. Remember that? And the setting for that was the slave market. And Jesus shed his blood. When we believe, we're bought out of this, we're rescued out of the slave market. And that propitiation, it's the pagan temple where we feel like we have to always somehow atone for our own sins and the wrath of a God that can't be satisfied. But then Jesus absorbs the wrath of God. That's propitiation. He steps in between. He takes the wrath of God that we deserve upon himself. And the setting is the slave market. And then there's the imputation. The setting is the counting house, our modern bank, if you will, where he takes our sin and he puts it on his account. This is amazing. Who wouldn't want to believe this? And he takes his great wealth of righteousness and puts it onto our account. Like you, hey, honey, can you check the account? Wait a minute. Where did all this money come from? I can buy more treasures now. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful if you just woke up one morning and all your debt was on somebody else's account and all that wealthy person's wealth was on your account? That's the gospel. No wonder they call it good news. It's good news. You, you've been telling people that. 
haven't you, about the good news? They, they should know about that. That's the setting, is the counting house. And then for reconciliation, obviously the setting is the battlefield. We're reconciled, we're made friends, we were enemies with God, and now we've been made friends because we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And this is a sweet one. They, the adoption, the setting, ironically, is the town dump. Remember that? The babies crying on the town dump in the ancient world, and the Christians coming along and making them a part of a loving family. Having a baby is wonderful. Adopting a baby is, is, is like, wow, shockingly wonderful, isn't it? You're like, we took a baby that did it, that was going to die and made it a part of our family. You were in Satan's family. I hate to tell you this. It's true. You were in Satan's family. But when you believe that Jesus died and rose again, you were adopted into the family of God, including all the inheritance that goes with that. You remembered all these things, didn't you? I just wanted to say them again because it never gets old. And you want to take, you want to cherry pick parts of that story and tell it to yourself when you're tempted. Tell it to yourself when you're discouraged. Tell it to yourself when you doubt. Tell it to yourself when you have a setback. Tell it to yourself when all the world is clamming around you full of lies. What is it that you say when you talk to yourself? Well, you have the treasure of justification by faith. Second treasure, you have the treasure of a supernatural peace with God. Peace toward God is the idea. When we, some of you here in the building, I, I was the officiant at your wedding. Remember how that happened? Remember how that worked? And the way I do it, and Jordan, here's a little, here's a little, hey, young, we do this a lot, don't we? I like, I, I share young pastor lessons, and Jordan is very kind about that. He's humble and pretends he didn't know stuff, you know. Anyway, Jordan, this is my, this is my secret thing, I'll tell you, okay. And that is the, the bride and groom are far apart, and they don't see each other. And we get them close. Did I tell you this before? Probably I did. And we get them closer and closer together, right? And it's kind of the fun part is, like, they don't see each other, then they see each other, and now they're far apart, and now they're getting closer, and now they stand near each other, but they don't touch each other. And now they stand, then they come up here. You guys remember this? And they look at me. And I ask you stuff. And suddenly, remember that? We had little ducks at your wedding. Ducks, that's the first and only time we had ducks at the wedding. A little family of ducks came right across. It's like right in the middle, we had to stop everything and wait for the ducks to go by. And, and, and what do we do? You're, you're looking at me and you're telling me stuff. You're telling the people stuff. But there's a point in the wedding where I have a little secret code and I say hi and repeat after me. That's one of my favorite parts. Not my very favorite, but very close. we're getting close, right? I go look her in the eye and then they turn. They turn toward each other. And there is that intimacy where they look at, at each other in the eye and they're vowing. Because Jesus died for you, you can have lifelong, eternal intimacy with God, with God, with God. He's not looking at you going, ah, oh, like other people do. Pat, knucklehead. He's like, that's my child. Looking you full in the face. This is because Jesus died, gave you his righteousness, took your sin upon himself. Because you're justified. This is what it says here. This is, we're justified by faith, so we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. That's the phrase that drew my dad to salvation. Spoken by Billy Graham. He wrote a book, Peace with God. My dad longed for that peace with God. He got it. Third treasure, 
The first treasure is you're justified by faith through what Christ did. The second treasure is you have access to God. Um, I'm sorry, you have supernatural peace. The third treasure is you have access to God. Verse, verse two, through him we have obtained access by faith into his grace through which we stand. I have a son, Wesley, who's, you have a, you have a child that's a physical touch person? This plumber kid of mine is the physical touch guy in our family. He, he loves to be hugged. There's a little secret there. If you ever see him, give him a hug. Anyway, that's, that's Wes. You wouldn't think so, but that's definitely him. When he was little, I remember I was, I was working on something, and he was coloring. He was drawing a, on a, he was in front of the fireplace, and he was making a little picture. And when he got done, I said, what are you doing there? And he goes, I'm making you a picture. It's us. I'm like, oh. He brought it over, and it was completely unrecognizable, you know. So I'll give you a grandpa tip on that. Go, oh, explain it to me, because, you know, you have no idea what it is. Don't, like, hey, what do you think? Explain it to me. Huh? He goes, okay. I go, here, Wesley, why don't I hold you in my lap, and you can explain it. I remember, I remember that day that I pulled him up on my lap and, and held him, and he goes, that's me right there, and that's you, and that's a creek, and that's a tent, and that's a fire. We're camping out. I'm like, oh, I like that. That's a nice picture. I hugged him. He went over and he laid back down and he drew some more. A few minutes later, he, he interrupted me and he goes, if I draw you another picture, will you hold me again and I can talk to you? <laughs> God knows your love language. That's what I'm saying. He knows your love language, and he desires not to, like, I'm going to tolerate you. That's not what Jesus did on the cross. I'm going to die so I can tolerate you. I, I, I'm going to, you know, you deserve to die, and I could vaporize you right now, and I, and I might later, but for right now, I'm going to let you in. That's not the, no, it's access. Listen to what it says. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into his gifts, grace, in which we stand. <laughs> Sweet. This is a treasure. Remind yourself about that. God isn't just put up through his son. He cherishes you. You say, well, wait a minute. I, I sinned and he disciplined me. Yeah, that's what you do when you love somebody. That's what you do when you love your child. You train them. That's what God will do for you. But it doesn't mean you don't have his favor. It doesn't mean you don't have his blessing. It doesn't mean that, you don't have, that he's not delighted with you because of his son, Jesus. A pastor was meeting with a man. And before he concluded the meeting, he said to the man, Tell me, how is your intimacy with God? And the man just immediately hung his head. He looked away. He says, oh, pastor. He says, you have no idea. The things that I did before I was saved. You have no idea the terrible things I did before I was saved. As if his intimacy with God was dependent on sins that were already under the blood of Christ. So the pastor said, you need to sit back down. And he began to teach him. Matter of fact, the same guy. He began to teach him the three-by-five card stuff. So the man would realize that even though he was ungodly, he's justified. And even though, and, and you, you've heard a good teacher maybe tell you that when Jesus died for your sins, he died for your sins past, present, and future. The first time you hear that, don't you want to go, okay, wait a minute, hold on. Say that one more time. Say that again. Okay, that's just way too good to be true. I can understand. I was at a funeral, and I heard a pastor say, 
Jesus died for your sins. Once you get saved, you're responsible for your sins after that. Now, that, I hate to say it, he seemed like a nice man, but that was just error, that was heresy, that was wrong. That's not a very comforting gospel. That isn't good news. If you're still responsible for all your sins after you're saved, then stop calling it the gospel, because it isn't good news anymore. Isn't that sweet? So what do you have? You have treasures. You have treasures. You have the treasure of justification by faith paid for by Jesus. You have the treasure of peace with God. You have the treasure of access to God. You have the treasure of rejoicing even in suffering or exalting or boasting in him even in suffering. It's repeated in, cha in chapter 5, verse 2, chapter 5, verse 3, chapter 5, verse 11. Paul is not just writing a letter. He's, by the way, he, he originally dictated this to an amanuensis. I want you to imagine Paul. This is a Paul who was like such a loser, right? Such a sinner. So wicked, so wicked. He knew it. He always reminded people how wicked he was. I was a persecutor. I'm responsible for people's death. Good people. He never got over that. So he's saying, but, I, but he justified the ungodly. He's like, you know, like me. Justified. And he said, and he said, he's dictating this, but he keeps bursting into doxology. You ever notice how Paul does that? Look, this is a good thing to do. Take your Bible, just read, and see how often Paul, when he's writing, he bursts into, into doxology, into exaltation, into worship. This is a pattern that we should follow. You shouldn't just blandly read, oh, Jesus died for my sin. Hold, hold on. <laughs> what was the last time you celebrated that? What was the last time you exalted in that? What was the last time you boasted in that? This is the fuel that drives your sanctification, your rejoicing, your exaltation, and your justification. This is what we should understand that we, we should train ourselves to do. This is my, my goal with you. I was thinking and praying, God, for the people and for you, for you and for the people. What do you want? What do they need? And Jesus would want me to tell you the truth and so that you would be set free and you could enter into this deeply so that so you would begin to replace whatever it is you say to yourself that's not quite on with this story. You don't know what to tell yourself. Start with, you started singing it this morning. For God so loved the world, he gave us his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, go to hell, but have everlasting life. Just tell yourself that's the story that you should replace the story that somebody else put in your brain. I got a theory that everybody has a question mark, a storyline in the bottom of their soul they default to that's a lie that was given to them from hell that they tell themselves when things go bad or when they're tempted or when they want to justify their sin. And, the, and one of the keys to the secrets to the Christian life that this Milton Vincent recognized, that you can recognize, that Paul certainly saw was this. You take that story and replace it with the gospel. And you see everything through the lens of the gospel. So even in, even, that's why I said even in suffering. So Paul's just teaching. He's not just teaching, he's, he's worshiping. Um, John Piper, famous uh, pastor, calls, he calls it expository. That's like a preaching word. Expository exaltation. It's like preaching, worshiping, preaching. Um, so access by faith into his grace in which we stand, verses verse 2, and we rejoice, we exalt, we boast in the hope, the confidence of the glory of God. And we rejoice in our sufferings. In verse 11, 
It says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, where, where Paul is just going off on this thing. And so he just keeps using the full name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul's not a man upstairs kind of a guy. He's a Lord Jesus Christ kind of guy. And so you have the treasure of justification by faith. You have the treasure of supernatural peace with God. In justification, you have the treasure of access to God. In justification, you have the treasure of rejoicing even in suffering. And, and, and some practical tips on, on how to do this. Preach the law to yourself first, like Paul did. Like Paul, keep reading in Romans, you get to chapter 7, it's like, who doesn't see themselves in Romans chapter 7? Like, you do, you go, that's me, that's me. I want to do right, but I don't. And the things I want to do, I don't do. Why? That's me. That, that's me. That was Paul. Oh, wretched, remember how it ends? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He hurries to the gospel. He hurries to the gospel. That's what we should do. We should train ourselves to hurry to the gospel. When you're disciplining your children at home, is there a gospel discipline there? Not just like you're bad and you need to be good. Try harder to be good. <laughs> How's that working for you? You're telling your kids to do that, and you, that's kind of frustrating. The kids need to be in a gospel home where the story is the gospel. You're a sinner, aren't you? I mean, look what you did to your sister. <laughs> Let's be honest. And there's no hope for you. <laughs> you hopeless thing. Except, oh, wait. Oh, 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 but wait. There was one who one day came to earth, never mistreated anybody. He died on the cross. You remember his story. For you, your sin, your selfishness, your lust. And he welcomes you. That's, that's the great, that should be a part of it. So the kids are irritating you. And, they're, and you're like, I'm going to spank them. I'm going to whatever, you know. I'm gonna, well, gospel them right up there. It's gospel time. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't mean <laughs> every time they misbehave. You should like be preaching them. That's probably not a good idea. You know I wasn't saying that right. I just mean you should very deftly, very wisely, very sweetly make a mental note that they need to hear this gospel story and lay it on their own heart so that they have hope. We're not just like the Christians, you know, they hate everybody and they're against everything. That's not the gospel. Wouldn't it be good news? It's that the Christians, the Christians are the ones, you know, that they are forgiven sinners and, and they're justified. So preach a lot of yourself and then preach the gospel to yourself. If you want to start somewhere, you can start in chapter 3 of Romans, verse 21, and from 3, talk about sin before that, but then it just talks about justification in a big, long, I think it's like 57 verses of justification in three different chapters, Romans 3, Romans 4, Romans 5. You're reading through <laughs> Leviticus right now in your Bible reading program, and you know, your eyes are glassing over because, you know, you're like, okay, that's good, read that, it's the, the Word of God, and then skip over to Romans there, and read a little bit of Romans in 3, 4, and 5, and exalt in the gospel, and then obediently go back to Leviticus, you'll start to see a connection there. Anyway, um, and then remember who you were. This is good. Paul did this, remember who you were. Go ahead back and remember your sin. You're not remembering it without the cross. Remembering your sin without the cross is a very dangerous thing to do. But remember your sin, like remember who you are. Remember who you are, and then remember whose you are. And this is what Paul did. He would remind people who he was, but he would always say, but for the grace of God. He would always tack on. He'd always be heading for, but for the grace of God. And then reject a performance orientation and learn to root your joy and your hope, not in the things, but 
ultimately in the gospel and see your world through the lens of the gospel. Um, uh, Pastor Leo last week was talking about uh, Tim Keller. Uh, Tim Keller said he was reading about Emile Calliette, a Frenchman who decided that he was going to find all the things that were wise and put them in a leather book. He would just, whenever he'd hear a wise thing from somebody, he would write it down and he'd put it in a leather book. He had a leather journal. He would write all the wise things from all around the world. It just seemed like a better idea than tethering yourself to one belief system. And so he had this book, but the problem was, it's like he knew he wrote the book. And one day he said he was looking at his leather book and reading all these wise things that he'd written down and it did nothing for him and it didn't, it didn't fill his emptiness and it didn't satisfy his heart. It didn't forgive his sin. And, his, and, and it just then when he'd reached a point of despair, Calliot looks up and his wife is walking across the park with a stroller and their little baby. And she says, there was a man that just walked by and he handed me a book. It was, a, it was a pastor that was passing out New Testaments. She said, I took one. I thought you might be interested. He said when, Calliot said, when he read the book, it was the first book he ever read that understood him. He says, the first book I read that understood. Now, if you, if you boil down the whole Bible into one story, it is the gospel. And it's the story that understands you. And everything that you are going through, I'm sure I've made my point. Here's the fifth treasure. And by the way, marry your lesser loves to gospel applications. Use your drive time to, to think about the gospel and to, to deepen your roots in the gospel. Use your downtime. You know, like when you're cleaning your basement and, and you don't have to think that much, you can like put on some gospel preaching or some gospel music. Music is powerful for many of us. That's why we sing about the cross so much here. That's why secret. We always tell the people that are picking songs, they'll say, what's the message going to be? I'm like, it's going to be on Jesus and, and so Jesus songs, you know. But we, sometimes we, we can dial it in a little bit better than that. They're super good at that. But, but you know, it, it, the default is always pre, have the gospel in the songs about Jesus because that's the answer to every question. That's the story that our hearts long for. Did, did you love singing it? And, and that's why, that's one of the reasons why we come corporately, you know, and the instruments play, and then the instruments drop out. Then you hear the voices of people that are redeemed. There's nothing like that. Nothing like it. Build a strong hope in a gospel-centered living and see all of your stuff in your life put on the gospel lenses. And this would be on your bad days, but it would also be on your good days. Sometimes we tend to think, oh, I had a good day. I read my Bible. I helped a little lady across the street. I'm a good guy. I'm a good lady. Like you don't need the gospel on a good day. Like you're not a sinner that deserves judgment on a good day. We need the gospel on the good days. Probably even more than we need the gospel on the bad days. And I know that you want to check out on a bad day. Say, I did that again. I said that again. I saw that again. I failed that on that again. I wonder if I'm even a Christian. I did that thing that I'm wrestling with not doing. It's like, so what if Jesus were to walk up to you and say, so what do you want to depend on? My righteousness or your self-righteousness? You, you're, you want to answer, I'll depend on your righteousness because my righteousness is kind of spotty. <laughs> the fifth treasure, we have hope even in trials. That's what it says in verse 4. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Confidence in the promises of God. It's an act of confidence. That's another treasure, the fifth one, the hope. First treasure is we're justified by faith in Christ and he he pays for that. 
Second treasure, we have supernatural peace with God. Tell yourself that. Third treasure, we have access to God eternally, continuously. The Bible starts in the garden, ends in the garden. That's the idea. Fourth treasure, we rejoice even in suffering. Fifth treasure, we have hope even in trials. And finally, we have God's love shed, in, uh, shed into our heart, b- dropped into our heart by the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is so beautiful. In verse 5, hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. A, a person could just think about that all week and it would be good. Go on and break this. When you go on and break, just go, God poured his love into my heart because I have the Holy Spirit living in me. I'm a justified sinner that's possessed by God, the Holy Spirit. So God's pouring his love into me. You say, I can't love her anymore. Yeah, you can. You have God's love in you. Oh, those people are unloving. I can't love He loved you. <laughs> of course you can. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. We're expecting great things of you. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Don't grieve him, quench him, resist him. And out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Who said that? Who said that? You guessed right. It was Jesus who said that. He who believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. In other words, if you don't grieve or quench or resist the spirit, the natural spiritual life would be God would just flow out of you. You would naturally, you would love people. You would forgive people. You would embrace people. You would help people. You would let, you have this, this love. Like Jesus, this, this patient love. So, let me give you a little bullet list of things that happen when I preach the gospel. It, I think about this a lot, a lot this week. It's so fun. When I preach the gospel to myself, when I have a gospel conversation, you track with what you did here, right? Neil, Dr. Neil says, this is a gospel, right? right? And then I said, so we should tell other people. We should have gospel conversations with other people. And then Pastor Leo said, and we should trust that gospel for whatever's like frustrating us, like in our nation and stuff like that, with gospel confidence. And then what I'm saying is, and we should tell ourselves the gospel. And I, and I don't want to steal your thunder, but like next week, Jordan's going to say, and we should tell each other the gospel. We should have fleshed that out and see what is gospel culture. But for yourself, when you, speak, when you have a gospel conversation with yourself, these are just some of the things you could read Milton Vincent for 31 of them that he saw. And the scriptures, this book is scriptures. But here's just a quick bullet list. I find myself growing in holiness and likeness to Jesus when I tell myself the gospel. It relieves me of shame and despair. It reminds me of the power of God that's at work in me. It prepares me to be a witness. The more I think about the gospel, the better I am at talking about the gospel. It it, it keeps me off of empty things. It, it, when, I, when I speak, the, when I have gospel conversation with myself, I'm strengthening my ability to help others come to freedom in Christ. I'm resisting Satan's domain and darkness. I'm walking in humility. I'm feeling joy in God. I'm resisting the lies that would destroy or kill me. I'm moving the truth of the gospel from my head into my experience. I'm stirred up to love God, and I'm stirred by the love of God, and it helps me treasure Christ rightfully. And when I preach the gospel to myself, it has a transforming effect that makes me more like Jesus. I said that twice because I like it. And then when I preach the gospel to myself, I remind myself of the things that I say and believe, and I apply them to my life. Spurgeon, the great English Baptist pastor, would tell the story 
about a little boy in the north of England that was lost, and he was afraid, and it was cold and dark, but a police officer found him on the street weeping. And the kind police officer began to say to him, where do you live? I'll help you find your way home. And the little boy could not tell his address. He couldn't tell the name of the street that he lived on. So the police officer who knew the city very well began to name streets in the city. Do you live on this street? Have you heard of that street? What about this street? But the little boy just wept all the more because he didn't recognize any of the names of the streets. And then the, the police officer had an idea. He said, you know, there's a big church in our city that has a white cross at the very top. He says, the little boy immediately brightened. He goes, I know that. I know that cross. He says, if you get me to the cross, I can find my way home. And I want you to understand that no matter how lost you are, how far you are from God, the cross is the way home to God. It always has been. It always will be. David, I